Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello again, and welcome to episode 143 of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, my guests tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to get rid of, something they want to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the actor Margaret Cabin-Smith, who, if you haven't seen her in Peep Show, Lab Rats, Psychoville, Katie Brown's Big Ass Show, Mongrel's Fresh Meat, The IT Crowd, Miranda, Motherland, Holby City, or The Evermore Chronicles, or any of the other myriad things she's been in, you almost certainly would have heard her, maybe using her impressively variable voice on an advert, or, more possibly, on radio in the Penny Dreadful's John Finnemore Souvenir Programme, the now show, Sarah Millican Support Group, The Mortby Collection, Bigipedia, Newsjack, The Archers, or another case of Milton Jones, for example. Then again, you may listen to her excellent podcast, Do the Right Thing. And if by some strange twist of fate you've managed to miss all of those, you can hear her now, as Margaret Cavan-Smith chooses five things for her time capsule. Yeah, I'll shut up now. Finally doing this. Hooray. <laughs> Finally, here we are. <laughs> I think it's brilliant when you say, no, nope, I can't, I've got another voiceover. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, <laughs> it's lovely. It's, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's lovely. Sometimes I think it's a stupid thing to do with your life, but there you go. <laughs> Isn't that always the way, though, that everybody outside of it sort of goes, oh, God, how do you do that? How do you get into that? Yeah, yeah. You go, well, I don't know, really. I did one thing once and I got on a list. <laughs> Work breeds work, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I think it's true. Rather like you, my career started doing lots of voices. And then I stopped being Simon Greenall. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I just became soft, dark brown voice. Hello, hello. It's weird. When did that happen? No, it's, yeah, I suppose it's weird. Those phases, it is strange sort of looking back over a career and thinking, God, I used to do that all the time. And now I don't do any of that, you know. I know. And some of them, you think, I'm glad I don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. So here we are. Here we are. I'm so impressed with them. I was saying to Dan last night, you're so impressive being able to do this so well and so prolifically. Prolific, I think, is the answer rather than well, necessarily. <laughs> no, it prolific. is well. It is well. Well, I do have help. My son edits. So yeah. I sound better in the end than I do in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some quite big names on. Yeah. And then really, really interesting people I think are really fascinating. And then the biggest fuss was made over Barry Cryer. If only he knew, you know, he doesn't really know that he's that loved. That loved, I know. I know. And he, yeah, he just is a proper institution, isn't he? Absolutely. And yeah. he talked for so long that we did two episodes. <laughs> 
I just went, I can't put out a two-hour episode. I'm going to, you know. And I just, at the end, said, so we're going to stop now. We'll come back, you know, later on, next time we do a podcast, it, it'll be Barry again, <laughs> carrying on that anecdote. <laughs> Cliffhanger anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> and the vicar said, okay, join us next week. Next time. <laughs> oh, God, it was brilliant. I was in a radio play once, which I was rather proud of because it was very, very straight. There was no no comedy and it was absolutely, you know, proper, proper drama, yeah, yeah. afternoon drama. And afterwards, the phone rang just as it finished, phone rang. He went, hello, mate, Baz. I just said, that radio play. And he said, it was you. And I said, it, it was me, Barry. He said, it's bloody good. I, went, oh, I was so chuffed. Yeah. Do you know, it's one of the things I like about texting. I was talking to my dad about this because my dad doesn't even do texting, let alone. You know, <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Um, and I was saying it's just a really nice thing if you're watching something or you're listening to something or even just you'll, you suddenly think of someone, you can contact them without the sort of like having to ring them, which is what Barry does, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But just sort of go, I, I saw this, you were great thinking of you, you know, and, and it's just such a nice way of reminding someone you know that you're thinking of them. Yeah, 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 and you think they're you think they're talented, or you think yeah. they're, they're lovely. You know, we all know what it's like when you do something and it goes out, and then there's no reaction to and it at all. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing. I had to think. I did a radio play recently that I thought was really good. Nothing, nothing. Uh, the thing you have to remember at that point is that people are so used to you being brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, to be fair, that was um, that wasn't quite a. It wasn't that I thought I was so good in it. It's just I thought it was really good. But other times, mm. things things that you're like, okay, that was all right, and then people are really into it. So you just don't know. I remember talking to Jeffrey Palmer once about a show that he did, and he went, "Oh no, it was one of those ones that afterwards people said, hey, do you want a drink?'" <laughs> 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 and so you know everyone hates it and it's like, I, don't know, mm-hmm. I thought it was really good but uh... <laughs> oh I think I may have been in that with him <laughs> just before Jeffrey decided that's it I'm just going to go fishing now I'm not doing anything else <laughs> I did do the return of Reggie Berrin oh I liked that you see did you I did oh. like it I even like the book I mean I love David Nobbs he was mm. one of the people I was going to put in I don't hasn't quite made the cut but uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay who was your which character were you i was the new character sort of yuppie oh yes yeah who said groovy i think i think that's what i said all the way through just over and over again it would be <laughs> a nice smashing marvelous or whatever yeah, the sequence yeah, yeah. was and then this new groovy <laughs> at the end of it he did that brilliantly well <laughs> it is weird because also i played a character in only fools and horses whose catchphrase was groovy and <laughs> Something about you. Something about your face is groovy. Clearly, clearly. Or they saw one and thought, he can say groovy. That he can say groovy. Get him in. Get him in. <laughs> right, Margaret, we're going to talk. No, people would call you, don't call you Margaret, do they? Do they call you Not Margaret? Not really. Well, some, some people do. I get all, I get everything. Mags is the most usual. Mags, that's what I thought, yeah. Do you mind Mags or not? No, no, no not at all. The only one I don't like is Margie. Bit odd, but um, I don't know why. My sisters call me magic, <laughs> which comes from madge rather than because uh, yeah. I have supernatural powers. You say, think of you as a criminal on a swamp. Yeah. On, <laughs> trying to grab young boys. They bring me a file, boy. Bring me a file. That's, That's exactly it. who I am to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Okay. Well, as we're talking about things from the past, yes. let's find out what the five things are you'd like to put into a time capsule. Right. So the first thing, you need a bit of background. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 2002 or 2003, I think, and it had been for various reasons, mainly spending a lot of money doing the Edinburgh Fringe or whatever. It was <laughs> it was going to be a bit of a lean Christmas, a bit of a sort of depressing, oh God, I've had no acting work. You know, just that thing of approaching Christmas, and it's not like poverty or anything, but just thinking, I really, really have to be careful. So really sort of a bit of a miserable thing. And I remember checking my bank balance two days before Christmas because I knew I'd done this voiceover. I didn't often get voiceovers because my voiceover agent was Stephen Fry's voiceover agent. Uh, And if you're Stephen Fry's voiceover agent, (laughs) A, you're very busy and B, you don't need to get anyone else any work. No. But I'd been booked to do a 
give up smoking foam tape job. <laughs> and um, <laughs> really like... The big break. Yeah, here it comes. Re- I mean, yeah, God. And I remember being slightly irritated that I'd been booked for two hours, but I'd done it so quickly. I'd finished in an hour, which I was yeah. pleased about. But then I thought, oh God, does that mean I get less money? But anyway, I was relying on this to take me into Christmas. And then it turned out, I hadn't checked, uh, but one of the good things about being with Stephen Fry's voiceover agent is that she knew how to get a deal. And I honestly, rather than the £200 I thought I was getting, it was mm. it was more than 10 times that. I mean, it was proper, oh. like, uh, and I, I just, I remember staring at my bank balance and going, that isn't, how is that? That's not possible. That's not possible. I don't have that. And I was so, so excited. And obviously like two days before Christmas, just so I was like, I'm buying Prosecco in the pub tonight. <laughs> and I was on such a high. I don't know if you've ever had this, but like that, you know, that feeling of like, of just being, I'm, I'm so sick of just being so conscious of everything I buy. And I just, I walked past an interior decoration shop and in the window was this ludicrous display, which included a big sort of gold crown. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm going to buy a crown. <laughs> and I went in. And I mean, it wasn't massively expensive. I think it was like £25 or something, but still I did not need a crown. Like I couldn't no. even put it on my head because it was some sort of, you know, some sort of decoration. But it also reminded me of that thing. I don't know if you remember in Father Ted, there's an episode where they have two criminals and one of the ways they catch them is that what they've bought with their winnings is a fur coat and a giant <laughs> crown and it just struck me as really really funny to go I've earned a lot of money I'm going to buy a crown and so I have that and I still have it on the on the back of my door oh brilliant um and it's just representative of the occasional <laughs> and yeah. to be honest I've probably never made that money <laughs> in one go again ever (laughs) but yeah it was so so exciting to have that and to just buy something completely unnecessary and impractical as I say couldn't even wear it as a character or anything it's just a ludicrous thing I don't really want to talk about money but money it's an absurd thing isn't it yeah particularly for a self-employed person there are times when you feel fantastically flush yeah just something will happen and you think to yourself wow I, I, I'll never spend all this. This is brilliant. Yes, exactly. I could live off this forever. And that's usually when you're young and you don't realise that how quickly you can spend things. Oh, but I've had those Christmases. Christmases for me have varied between, well, you know, now don't cook. I'll book us all into a hotel. Well, I know your family are coming. Yeah, I know. And the friends. Yeah, we'll have a table for 15. I'll pay for it. Yeah. And I've done others where I've gone... Um, is everybody going to contribute? Yes. Can everyone bring a dish? Or even better, money. Oh God, yeah, whip brown Christmas. I know. <laughs> and it is, it, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because you're right that it's hard to imagine that it's going to be any different. When you're in it, it's like, oh, this is fine. I'm I'm sorted now. Look at this. Yeah. And it can happen so quickly that <laughs> no, whip brown Christmas. uh... that's a lovely term (laughs) it really is so I think of you more obviously as a tiara person well I did it's funny you say that I did have a tiara very cheap tiara for my graduation my mum made me a dress and I (laughs) I, I bought a fairy wand and a tiara (laughs) Um, I mean I I sort of ruined the effect by having um for some reason, I was given two coconuts early on in the in the evening, and I stuffed them down my dress. So I like all the parties. <laughs> I mean, I look sort of glamorous and sort of like a monkey dressed up. <laughs> I didn't do graduation. I missed it. I'd actually, by the time it came to graduation, I was working. Do you feel like you haven't graduated now? Very much, as far as intelligence is concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that all slips away so quickly. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. I don't even think I have my degree. I never collected it. Really? No, I don't have it. it. I did a degree in law and then I became an actor. And I thought, what's the point in having that? Well, I don't know. Maybe these days, um, I'm just thinking of playing lawyers. I've got all of this knowledge. I have a feeling that's the last thing writers yeah, would want. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> An actor thinking. with knowledge? No. That's nah. <laughs> on correcting me. No. I have played lawyers and I have done that. I have said, well, actually, I think you'll find the prosecution speak first. Oh, wow. And they go, 
Yeah, not in this drama. <laughs> but at least you can say you've had the experience of most men, which is that they go just before Christmas. Oh, shit, presents. Yeah, I probably should have like got some cash out and wrapped the presents in the cash. <laughs> <laughs> I just read um, uh, Georgia Pritchett's book, My Mess is a Bit of a Life, which I can <laughs> recommend. But she worked in Harrods once and she said that there was, uh, just before Christmas, a guy who came in first thing in the morning like first through the door in a complete panic and starting (laughs) picking up, you know, just various items. And uh, he was the last person out of the door in the evening as well. And he handed her a tea towel. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, you've lost. Mm. (laughs) Oh, no. I have the very strange experience at Christmas or leading up to Christmas of going into lingerie shops and buying very large ladies' (laughs) knickers and bras. Why? Well, because quite often I play dame. <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. I go in and I say, is that the largest you've got? <laughs> and they do look at me as if I must, your wife must be huge. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never tell them. <laughs> I'm putting it round the Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you just don't explain. <laughs> I do occasionally say, it's all right if I go and try them on. And then that leaves them with a picture that they're not very keen on. Uh, Yes, it is all right, but I won't be coming with you. I'll just say, Mr. Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, I'm going to take that shiny crown. A lovely shiny crown. And I'm going to put it into the time capsule. I mean, it's just a good item, isn't it, a crown? It's just Surely. Anybody opens a time capsule and the first thing they see is a crown, they think they've hit the jackpot. (laughs) I might get them for everyone for Christmas, actually. (laughs) Don't tell them about this podcast. Uh, I'm aware that I've just did a snort there, which I'm really pleased with. My brain immediately thought, will I edit that snort out? Or will I have the the nerve to leave it in? That's terrible you get, yeah. Lovely. Okay, Max, that's um, that's your first item. Yes. So let's move on to number two. Number two is definitely a less nice item. It's uh, the hand dryer from the ladies' toilets at Pleasance One in Edinburgh, in the courtyard. Right. (laughs) Yeah, one of the least nice bits of Edinburgh, I'd say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even the ladies' toilet in that building. It's not. I've not been in the ladies' toilets, but... uh... No, I'm, I'm presuming they're similar. Originally, I was just going to take the Edinburgh Fringe or Edinburgh the place and try and put it in the in the time capsule. But I thought I'd go for something much more specific and personal. Mm. I mean, I was absolutely blown away by Edinburgh. I have been every time I've ever gone to Edinburgh. There's part of me that thinks Edinburgh needs to be that beautiful for the performers having a bad time to cope. <laughs> you, know, <that> you can <laughs> come out of a terrible show or sort of think, oh my God, I've spent £8,000 putting this on and no one's <laughs> coming. And then you come out and you see the castle and Arthur's seat and, you know, it's all amazing. So I love Edinburgh the place, mm. but the Fringe Festival particularly, even just the Pleasance. I remember for years, it was just a dream of mine to even do a show at the Pleasance. I couldn't, you know, get my head around the thought of doing a show at the Pleasance because it's just such a magical, I just couldn't believe it existed when I went there. I first went there when I was a a teenager and we just went to see in that way that you're supposed to, you just went to see something, you know, you just sort of like go into an alleyway, (laughs) your hands at a fire and go, oh, okay, we'll try this. And I have so many memories of seeing completely insane or (laughs) brilliant or terrible things. Mm. And I think I just, that hand dryer, which still has stickers on it from years ago. I mean, the last time I went, which was two years ago now, it still had a sticker on it from one of the first times I ever went there. (laughs) Brilliant. I I remember as a kid going to this hotel in Westgate-on-Sea and um, I think there's something about going into the, the toilet sort of place where it's a bit like backstage. So you're having an amazing time and then suddenly there's just a moment to sort of think and reflect and whatever. And I remember the toilets there, they had the, the toilet paper dispenser was a Bowwater Scott one. And the next year we went, it had been replaced by Kimberly Clark. And I remember feeling a bit betrayed. <laughs> and I don't know what it is, but I, I, I think I have a kind of, yeah, as I say, that backstage thing where mm. you're suddenly you're, you're on your own just to think about what you're experiencing and you just want to remember it 
And that hand dryer I have looked at and used so many times over the years in every different mood possible. You know, <laughs> I've done it like elated after a show, miserable, heartbroken. Drunk. And obviously, oh, I mean, no, all of those were drunk. <laughs> obviously. It's hard to imagine that that place didn't exist at some point. Yes. Isn't it? It feels as if it's always been there. When did you first go there? When I first went there, it wasn't there. Wow, really? Yeah, 1978, I think. <clears throat> but the, what, the Pleasance wasn't wasn't a vet. I mean, the Pleasance must have been there. It's, it's all cobbled and everything. The building right? was there. <laughs> I think it was an abattoir or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> we performed at um, Lady Mary Hall, I think. That's now sort of luxury flats. God, that's one of my least favourite phrases in English. Mm-hmm. That's now luxury flats. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me want to cry. When it started, the presence, the man who started it was also the person who first took us on tour. Oh, my God, Christopher Richardson. He was a teacher at Uppingham School, Chris Richardson. And uh, I think the Footlights had performed. They had a beautiful theatre. And it was Stephen Fry's old school, although yes. I think he may have been expelled from it. So it then became something that we also did. Oh. Chris also helped design our first sets and things like that. But he hadn't started the Pleasance at that time. The last time I was in Edinburgh, they threw a big party for Chris. Yeah. The list of people who've performed at that place and see it as a seminal part of their career. Yes. Well, it must be amazing for him because he's such a key figure in so many people's lives. Mm. Is he still around? He is still around, yeah. Yeah. The performer's bar is Brooks, which is named after his dog. Ah, right, yeah. And there was always uh, signs everywhere saying, do not feed the dog. I mean, he was basically, there was a big rule, which if you fed his dog, you were expelled from the Pleasance for life. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the main thing I remember about him. He's, you know, he's a very sort of imposing figure. Mm, but not at all, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Fantastically keen on new talent. That was the thing, is that he would see someone and give them a chance at the Pleasance when there was no guarantee that an audience would turn up to watch them. No. But he would say, no, I like this act. Let them have a go. And that's bold because you could just see it as a money-making thing. Absolutely. That's not his ideal. No, and it's not the the spirit of the the fringe. As I say, like, you know, the whole like tickets being very highly priced is a real shame mm-hmm. because, you know, you're going to say, I'm going to see that person who was on Mock the Week. I know I like them. Where if it's a, you know, if it's a fiver or whatever, you can afford to just go, well... I know that that's going to be a man throwing up in a circle for an hour, but uh, (laughs) who knows? That might be amazing. (laughs) It may well be. But of course, that's why the free fringe has started, I think, is that they sort of say, all right, come on, you don't have to take a risk on me. Just come and see me. Yeah, yeah. No, and I've had some amazing times with the free fringe, although sometimes it is... uh, a curtained off corner of a pub. Mm-hmm. I have this policy in Edinburgh when I'm there that if somebody comes up to me in the street and says, will you come and see my show? You should respond in a way either, I'm really sorry, I can't, I'm working at that time. Or yeah. well, as you've asked me personally, I'll make every effort. I will wow. come. You know? yeah. So actually, I've been to see lots of little shows in Edinburgh simply because the person asked me to do it. One I went to was a a girl came up to me and said, I'm doing a stand-up show. Would you come and see it? And I said, okay, when is it? She said, in about half an hour. I said, okay, I'll be there. And I turned up and I was the only person there. And it was a fantastically sort of self-confessional. Oh, God. Was it good? I thought it was very good. Oh, that's lucky. But to sit in a room on your own. I mean, more like a therapist. Old than... enough. I mean, really old enough to be her granddad, you know, with <laughs> oh, her God. telling me the sordid details of her love life. <laughs> It was. So, did you feel like a therapist or a priest? Or... I felt like I should adopt her. <laughs> Maybe that's ultimately what she wanted. <laughs> okay, we've got a spare room. You can go in there. If I hear sobbing, I'll leave you alone. Yeah, I mean, I've watched performers pretty much break down <laughs> during oh. shows. It's uh, it's funny you say that because it is. It's so exposing i think even sometimes when it's not a very personal show you feel like you are just exposing everything about you well people are taking a great risk i think yeah and the very idea that i'm going to stand up here and i'm going to talk to you and i think you'll find this funny yeah yeah you are saying this is what i find funny Mm. and if people don't that's why it deserves supporting i think because it takes an enormous nerve to do that if you do that and you've done it lots of times before the biggest risk you take 
is to play a small venue and say, this is, I'm just trying stuff out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so different, isn't it? Because I've, I've realised, because for a long time I'd only experienced tiny audiences, I realised how much easier it is to play a big audience. It's, yeah. re- it's a really strange thing. So you know, even if they're not loving it, there's always enough people, you know, it's just sort of safety in numbers. Mm. And people are much more comfortable laughing in a crowd. I don't know how, how much you were laughing when you were on your own with oh, the ridiculous amount. I mean, an embarrassing <laughs> amount. I mean, yeah, that sounds like you became hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> just at every line, just in case, you know. Yeah. Was that a joke? I don't know. I'm nervous. <laughs> Hello, my name's Jane. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Now, the Pleasance is a place where wherever you go in the Pleasance, there are people. It's crowded and something's happening. So yeah. just standing in front of the hand dryer... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> on your own for a moment. Yeah. A little moment of peace. That's exactly what it is. It's really hard to describe the thrill of being there. And I have friends who are performers who can't stand being in Edinburgh when they're not doing a show. But I love mm. it every time I'm not doing a show, I'll still go if I can and, and see stuff. And I think it's partly because I am that comedy nerd at heart. I'm that sort of <laughs> thrilled punter. And genuinely, even if I'm seeing something that I'm not enjoying, I'm still enjoying the thrill of of live comedy. Mm. And, and here comes another one. And here comes another one. Yeah. You can spend all day from versing in the morning right till incredibly late at night just watching people perform. Yeah. I've done shows in Edinburgh where, not me, I love being on stage, but where other people in the cast have really found the show an interruption to their day of viewing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, to a large extent, it was also, there's a party I've got to go to. Yeah. They had a lot of that. I remember doing a, a late night show one year where we were going to the Perrier party afterwards and uh, we've never done the show so fast (laughs) (laughs) but annoyingly it was one of those things the writer was in it as well and she was like oh I'm always telling you all to go faster it was one of the best shows we've ever done (laughs) it just turns out speed is a big thing I've worked with directors where the only note they ever give you is that was good do it faster yeah yeah well I heard I heard um, someone once say the only notes director ever gives are really faster or louder Mm. I did an episode of The Archers recently and I said that's the director and she was very hurt. <laughs> so I was like, oh God, I, <laughs> oh, no. ruined this. I really didn't mean it in a kind of, yeah, yeah, I know you just mean faster or louder. I thought it was I've worked on The Archers. Do they give notes? <laughs> Maybe I was terrible, Mike, but uh, I, I was getting a couple. <laughs> Things like crunch those leaves faster, please. <laughs> oh yeah, no, well, you see, that, that's technical stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was in a tent that a cow ripped into. <laughs> Very serious stuff. That's a memorable moment in your career. <laughs> really is. I love doing the arches. I'd really love to do it mm. again, but I think that might be it. I think that cow has done for me. Well, you say that. I've been in the arches and never gone back, but <laughs> I know that a lot of the actors in it who are playing quite sort of long-standing parts, before they played those parts, they played smaller parts. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, in audio, you can always do that, can't you? Of course you can. And it is going to go on forever. It'll last through the apocalypse. Indeed. It'll outlive radio. (laughs) It's just people in a field. You're not going to stop Tim Bentig turning up. (laughs) You You can't. I've tried. Morning, all. I'm just going to muck out the cows. You're not in this episode. It's set in London. Okay, well, the toilet. Yes. At the Pleasance is going in as your second <laughs> item, Max. Hooray. 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 Okay, so let's have number three. Right, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We're going to take a short break for some possible adverts now. But have no fear, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in almost every bloody film he was in, we'll be back. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right, that's the ad break or the embarrassing silence in the middle of the podcast over. So let's return to Margaret Cabin-Smith and see what else she would like to put in her time capsule. So number three is Edward. And Edward is my robot Hoover. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's have number four. (laughs) Edward was bought after I got a Maltesers advert. It's another present to myself. (laughs) We have put googly eyes on him and my son named him and he put a sticker on him saying, hello, my name is Edward. (laughs) So I don't know if if you've seen them or you've got one, but it's called a Roomba. You set it off. It's this round thing. It's on wheels and it wanders around humming and, and cleaning up. But it genuinely is a bit like having a puppy. <laughs> like we, <laughs> the first thing it did, we set him off and he um, ate his own warranty. <laughs> it's like chewing <laughs> up his own warranty. We managed to wrestle that off him, but we, we set him off down the hall. And then I heard him coming back. I was going, Edward, you haven't finished. And he came back in and he had a copy of Private Eye. Stuck <laughs> under his wheels. So I was like, wow, this really is like having a pet. He needs to be trained. Yes, exactly. So I live in a house with lots of stairs. Yes, you see, I live in a ground floor flat <laughs> with no stairs. I know the lawnmower that does that. Yes. Sort of spiritual cousins. Are you thinking of getting one? No, we don't have a lawn. So. <sighs> You could lawn one of the rooms. <laughs> yeah, trimming the carpet. <laughs> no. Um, Edward is a really good name for a little hoover, I think, that yes. wanders around. Yes, but he's staff, really, Mike. Let's not talk him up. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't want him to get above his station. No. So is it circular? Edward. Yes. How does he do the corners? He can't quite get into the corners, but mm. it's, it's pretty good considering. You only need a little one to do. Yeah, yes, exactly. And you deign to do some cleaning. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Dan gets a broom out because he's really <laughs> old school. <laughs> so he gets the stuff out of the corners. But I mean, mm. um, I'm I'm not the most house proud of people anyway. Mike, I can live with dust in corners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing to do is to put furniture in those corners. Exactly, exactly. Plants and, mm. and things, yeah. I mean, there may be corners in our flat that have never been cleaned. <laughs> it's it's possible. <laughs> when I was a kid, my mum would say, can you tidy your room? And I'd go in and I'd lift up my rug yeah. and just place it gently on top of all the things on the floor. <laughs> so just, just loads of lumps on the floor. And I was absolutely convinced that this was a foolproof, you know, like really massive lamps and cushions and things expecting your mum to walk in and go wow that's marvelous yes <laughs> do, do you sometimes forget that he's there he's quite noisy while he's working and he sort of trumpets when he's finished <laughs> he has a lady's voice as well so, and sometimes he says error 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 <laughs> you know i'm afraid i can't do that margaret oh my word sounds a bit like hal <laughs> exactly you know. Yeah. Mm. I'm afraid that door lock won't open. You're going to have to stay here forever. <laughs> I don't know what I'd say if Edward said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just to teach him, just to teach him yeah. to know his place. He's going but into he's the going time. He's going in. All right. Well, I'll miss him, but yeah, no, fair enough. So that's three things we've got in there. Yes. So what's number four? So number four is a novel. I mean, I've listened to a few of your amazing podcasts and uh, books <laughs> don't tend to feature as much. No. And this is quite significant. It's, this is Wise Children by Angela Carter. I don't know if you've read it. I, no, I haven't, but I know Angela it's, Carter. Yes. yes. Well, it's one of those books, but I actually studied it at university. You know, it's one of those few things that I actually <laughs> really, really loved and remember and, and I I probably read it every couple of years. 
And one of my favorite things about it is it's a real celebration of the highbrow and lowbrow and of show business, of like theater particularly. It's about two illegitimate twins who become showgirls isn't the right word, but um, you know, they're in the halls to begin with, but they stay in show business their entire lives. But the real reason I wanted to put it in is that um a few years ago I was uh, doing panto. And it was a panto that I really, really wanted to do, the lyric Hammersmith, which is I used to live in Hammersmith, I still live in West London. So I took the job, even though it was going to be quite difficult because my partner was on tour when it was starting. And we had, you know, two quite small children and it was going to be a real headache to do it. And Panto, as you know, is just incredibly full on. Like it's it's a real slog. We never did those three show days. And I'm, I'm still amazed that anyone <laughs> manages that. But it's often two show days. It was often I had to be on the stage at 9 a.m., to do a full physical and vocal warm up before we went up at 10 to some often very rowdy school children. Mm-hmm. And it was, I won't lie, it was a bit of a slog. There were times where I thought, you know, this was possibly a mistake taking this job. I remember particularly there was a time where I just sort of been told that our 12 hour day was going to be extended to a 14 hour day. Oh. And as we were being told that, I got a phone call from my friend who was looking after my daughter and she was basically having a panic attack on a tube platform at the time and you know that that's those those real moments where you're like oh this is yeah this this Mm -hmm. is not going well and she was you know she was fine and got home you know there's not it's not often that they're that long days or whatever but you know just before you open it can be like that I was the oldest person in the cast for the first time ever which is very upsetting and uh, (laughs) also I was the only person in the cast with kids and that's sort of that's quite a hard thing to expect you know when everybody is working all hours and they just the show is everything it's just everything. Mm. And it's quite hard to explain. No, I, I, I really care about this show. I'm really, I'm really enjoying it and I, I'm working hard and whatever, but I do also have the two most important things in my life <laughs> waiting yeah. for me at home, <laughs> you know. I've got to go and put some washing on. Exactly. Exactly. It was like, mm. you know, just going straight from taking my mayor pigeon costume off. <laughs> My big pigeon head (laughs) and mayoral robes and rushing off and doing dinner and pissing to bed and all of that. And listen, I'm aware that lots of people have it much harder than that, much more consistently. But it was just, Mm. you know, it was a hard one. And And I started reading Wise Children again because it just is about the joy of it. It's about how it is hard and it is a a job, but you do it because you love it. I mean, particularly theatre, no one's in theatre for the money (laughs) there's a refrain in it which is what a joy it is to dance and sing and it made me feel better it it sort of reminded me why we do this and why Mm. it's a really silly thing to do in lots of ways but also to be serious again for a moment but the um the panto thing panto is often the first theatre a kid ever sees and also in Hammersmith, they do a brilliant thing where everybody, all the school children in the borough get to see it for free. Wow. So there's all these kids who do not get to go to the theatre. No. And I'm sure not all of them enjoyed it, but the spectacle of it, I mean, you know, particularly that theatre is a, it's a beautiful building. It was a really good show. And to sort of see that there are kids there who were properly into the magic of it all, you know, who <laughs> yes. were just completely blown away. And I, I quite often did... Um, because I'm a sort of local girl, I had lots of friends who'd come with their kids and we'd do a little backstage door. My daughter got to the point where she was taking backstage tours. <laughs> okay. And here, where the dame's costume gets cleaned of beans. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll notice it's not painted on the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was one of those really... It's an amazing thing to, to to feel connected to show business and theatre and also not necessarily the highbrow stuff because also it's one of those pantos. It's not even a, um, as you might have guessed, it's not a celebrity-based one. They weren't. No. <laughs> no, so in fact it's very meagre wages, really. Yeah, but also, I don't know, it felt very sort of, it was a real community as well. Like You know, we were lucky that we didn't have that hierarchy going on we all got on very well. So having read that book, did you then find that life reflected it? Yeah, it was, um, it just got me to be a bit more grateful, I suppose, to think mm. I get to do this and it it's because of the joy. It's absolutely a joy to get to do this in front of people. And why would anyone pretend that it's all, nothing's always brilliant 
<laughs> it just no. isn't and you know and it is a job it is it's work but I wasn't going to do a job that I hated and I was doing something that I really value I don't know I have a, a thing with um especially early on with my kids I slightly got into that thing I don't know if you've done this of, of thinking god I just want them to be accountants and lawyers I just I you know god the idea the thought of them going into this <laughs> and putting themselves through this I can't have it I can't have it mm. and then I had to have a word with myself and sort of say, well, I was brought up by an accountant and uh, and a housewife could not have had a more, you know, that sort of straightforward suburban thing. And I went into this because of the love of it, because I, the absolute passion, that was the thing that brought me joy watching it and then doing it. I could never turn around and say, no, you're not doing that. I don't want you to do that. I want you to have something safe and secure because as much as I crave it, I haven't done it. I'm not doing that. I am no. doing the silly choice. No, and does that bring you happiness? Yeah. Yeah. Will you be happy just in the fact that you're secure? I know lots of people who are and really are very envious of my life. Absolutely. And I point out the pitfalls constantly. Whip you know? round Christmas, yeah. Whip round Christmas, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be me. Yeah. But they really do. Yeah. And also, I know for sure, even if I'd found a more secure job that I enjoyed or, you know, even was boring or whatever, but brought me riches and security and all of that, I know that I would be thinking, I wonder, I wonder if I'd tried what would have happened. And I think that living with that is a mistake. I think you have to do it. And I've got friends who've you know, particularly from drama school, where they always say, well, we're there. Most of you will have given up within five years, if not a year. And we were all mm. like, what are you talking about? But that <laughs> is that that's the truth is that lots of people did very quickly. You know, I do still have that connection with being a child or even being at university reading Wise Children and dreaming about that. Or even, you know, with with the hand dryer at the Pleasance, thinking just the fact that I get to do that. And my career has not in lots of ways hasn't gone the way that I would have liked it to. But in lots of ways, God, I've I've had so much fun. I've stood on stages that I never would have dreamed I'd get to. <laughs> you know, I've been in a Christmas special on BBC One on Christmas Day. <laughs> you know, that's a huge thing. If you told me that age 15, I'd have just been blown away. Well, I mean, I know of your career and your sort of career can seem really frustrating because you think to yourself, I'm constantly having to prove myself. Yeah. Every job is a new job and they happen all the time and I'm having to start a new job all the time. Yeah. Almost daily. Yeah. And you think to yourself, will I ever get anything that goes on for any length of time? <laughs> oh God, the dream. It's the dream. <laughs> it's been my career as well. I've had that career. But at the same time, I've come across actors who then when they say, you know, when you write your CV for the program and you find somebody who's really quite amazing, you think, what a life this person had. And then you turn to their page and it says, Sir Robert Jonzo, famous actor, is done Oh, he's been in about 20 plays. Yeah. And they all ran for a year and a half. Yeah. In between it, he did a couple of tellies. And that's it. Yeah. They almost have had a regular life. Yes, exactly. And I'm not sure I'd choose that. I, I nearly went to uh, stage school, you know, when I was 11. And I didn't. And I'm pleased I didn't, mainly because I think... I would have had a more straightforward career, but I think I would be scraping a living in musical <laughs> theatre. And what and what I actually have got is a very varied career. Like, as you say, like just lots of different bits and pieces. And yeah, it, it definitely is frustrating what you're saying about having to prove yourself every time, sort of going, oh God, this is another three lines in, in this and whatever. There's a while ago where I was sitting next to a, I was doing an audition and there was a child next to me and I thought... I do a child's job. <laughs> and also, I think this child is up for a bigger part than me. <laughs> <laughs> and they may even be more competent than you. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, way more professional. <laughs> Absolutely on it. <laughs> when did you learn to do that? You're only 10. Sailing through. Oh, uh, well, I'm going to buy a copy of that book and have a read. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done it justice, really. It covers Shakespeare, you know, the, the, their father is a great Shakespearean actor mm. who ends up sort of becoming a bit of a joke. But there's lots of uh, intrigue and and it's very funny as well. Well, it's in your time capsule if you ever want to open up and have a read. <laughs> Lovely. Put your crown on while you're doing it. <laughs> Well. Okay, we've got one final thing to put in. Uh, this is something that you want to reject from your life, Max. Yes. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm afraid it's very cliched in a way, being a middle-class Catholic, uh, but I would like to put guilt 
in there because <laughs> I'm sick of it. I don't know. It feels like I should. Uh, it should be represented by something. I don't know if you can have the concept of guilt in the time capsule. Is that possible? I should imagine we could deal with your guilt. Oh yes. Although I'm a bit worried about turning you into some sort of serial killer or something. So I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Don't bother well, this me. Is the, but this is the interesting thing: is I feel like it's possible to have a conscience and you know and morals and ethics without the waking up in the night and feeling utterly like and also like the big thing for me is I'm I'm genuinely very forgiving of other people right other people have said terrible things to me and I'm genuinely fine with it I'm like you know they were having a bad day with me every awkward thing I've said every indiscreet thing I've said every time I've said something that I thought was funny and watch someone's face fall because it's not funny to them. Oh. It was painful. I mean, I've had my share of those. People say stuff to me and I just think, well, they they were trying to be funny or, as I say, they were having a bad day. All the things you've done, Mike, all those terrible things. Uh, <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> I deleted all those tweets. All oh, God, don't get me started on Twitter. But my own guilt... It just gets in the way. It stops me doing things and it stops me enjoying things in the way that I should. I just feel like I'd like to be able to brush it off a bit more easily and just think I didn't mean any harm or, you know, that came out wrong. Or even when you say something and you do mean something hurtful because something, you know, something has got to you and, and then it comes out and you think, well, okay, I've said it now. Mm. But um now I'd like to, yeah, a- apologise and have that taken away. Yeah. It is very difficult, I think, because if you're going to try and be funny, then often you will say something that people go, sorry? Yeah. What? You go, no, it was a, it was a joke. I was, yeah. I was joking. Oh, you think that's funny, do you? And, and you go, oh, God. Yeah. And that can, that can stay with you for years. That. Yeah. It's funny you should react to Twitter because somebody said something rather well, cruel, I think about Joe Caulfield, who's a guest of mine, mm. and just said, yeah, you and your second-rate scriptwriters, in a reaction to the fact that they'd said something and she said, well, you know, well, you know, if you don't like it, you know, do something else. Yeah. They just jumped at it and written it. And instead of going, oi, fuck off, and <laughs> blocking them, yeah, I wrote, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, where did that come from? I mean, look at what she said. She really didn't mean anything offensive. And now you've been really rude back. Yeah. And I'm sure you didn't mean to be that rude, did you? <gasps> what did they say, Mike? Because I think this is the best way to handle They They wrote back almost immediately, Dear Joe, I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean what I said. Ah, oh, so good. because Isn't I, it good? Yeah. And I, I honestly feel that Sarah Silverman, I don't know if you sort of followed her. She is incredible at responding to people with kindness, people who've said like, like genuinely hateful, you know, misogynistic, threatening things to her. Mm. And I remember seeing one once where she had responded by saying, I've just looked at the rest of your timeline and um, and I can see that you've been in pain recently. I hope your back is okay. And I understand that there's something in you that is lashing out, mm. you know, and she didn't say it's fine what you wrote, you know, but she just acknowledged that there was something else underneath this. And it's amazing how quickly people are like, oh God, you're right. I'm in a mood. I felt like you were untouchable. I felt like you were, mm. you know, and I think just suddenly all of this stuff comes out, all of this weird human stuff comes yeah. out that is that has been completely covered up just by someone lashing out and seeing a way of hurting someone of just sort of saying your second rate script writers or mm. your ugly face or whatever. I think it's really understandable to see that and not feel as forgiving, to just feel vulnerable, just feel like you you reacted really well because you just said, oh, I think that was a bit unnecessary. You know, it's it's that yeah, very, yeah. very calm way of saying, oh. In the conversation, I think I said, you know, because it became a conversation and I said, yeah. think about it. You wouldn't talk to somebody in the pub that way. Dream not face to face. You just wouldn't do it. No. It's socially not acceptable. So why is it here? Yeah. And they were, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. And it, yeah. was, it was really redeeming, I felt. But guilt, guilt can be debilitating. I think yeah. that's the problem. 
Yeah. And I think once this is away in the time capsule, I'd like to just be able to go, I forgive myself, not just for everything in the past, but for everything in the future as well, because (laughs) I'm trying, you know, so if I can forgive other people for all manner of terrible things, then I should be able to let myself off the hook a bit more. Also, I have a friend who said, oh, your guilt is very arrogant. (laughs) What do you mean? And he was like, well, you just think you're responsible for everyone, you know, everyone's good times. Who cares? It's not your, well, you don't have to look after Um, I don't care. God, Um, I bet that made you feel guilty. (laughs) That's terrible. I was prostrate before him saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I sort of see that it is irritating as well, just having someone constantly apologising. Well, that phrase, look, it's not all about you, you know. Exactly, exactly. Which I think we could all hear a bit more often. (laughs) I mean, actors, certainly. Certainly, yes. Anybody who's listened to you and I ramble on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about our the difficult life. Of the theater, oh, yes. well, I can't believe it. I have to do three shows, darling. Three. <laughs> the same as being in a coal mine, you know. But with better lighting. <laughs> oh, Max, thank you so much for doing this. I've had a great time. Oh, same. Thank you. I feel cleansed. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Margaret Cabin-Smith. I don't think I told you before, but she's married to one of our earlier guests, the writer and actor Dan Tetzel, so you may want to listen to that or any of the other 140-plus episodes of My Time Capsule. They're all available on Acast or any other podcast provider. And if you subscribe to this podcast, you'll get all new episodes as they're released. We've got some delightful guests coming up, including Mark Steele, Toya Wilcox, Matthew Kelly, and the gorgeous Joe Pasquale. So do subscribe, and then you can rate the show and maybe even write a short review something that is most pleasing to us oh the thrill of a new review especially if you do what everybody else has kindly done and give us five stars yeah five stars you see i had to rate the nhs the other day over the phone and they said rate us from one to five so obviously before they'd finished i clicked five because they were excellent they then continued telling me one for excellent five for poor So I'd rated them poor when they were actually excellent. Counterintuitive. Or another name for an inquiry's desk, I always think. Still, enough of my ramblings. Five stars is what we're hoping for, is all I'm saying. Okay, that's that sorted. You can download the theme tune on Spotify. It was composed and performed by Pass the Peas Music. And you can follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. This has been a cast-off production. Our producer was John Fenton-Stevens. Right, I'm off to help my neighbour deliver some fish. Actually, it's fairly straightforward. I just stand in the middle of the river saying, breathe, breathe, breathe. Okay, now push. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 